Survivors and welcome to First Aid Spray, a Resident Evil podcast by fans for fans. This is episode 74 and in this edition we'll be drawing from the exploration deck and increasing the mansion danger level as we take on Resident Evil the board game. My name is Cy and joining me on the panel this week, making perfect evade rolls in and out of the aisle where they keep all the energy drinks, it's fire button Steve Vanance. I assure you that is not true, I can't roll for toffee. Hi everybody! <laughs> The first day spray Discord danger level goes up whenever they're around and the debate of burger versus sandwich comes up. It's Michael Burger Time early. I'm telling you, just because it's a hot sandwich doesn't make it a burger. <laughs> and one of these days he'll draw an encounter card and a request for Resident Evil Gaiden, the board game, will spawn in his inbox. From Steamforge Games, the lead designer of Resident Evil, the board game, it's Sherwin Matthews. Yep, Chuck. <laughs> Every episode of First Aid Spray is recorded live on our Discord server, so join now to hear the show early and unedited, and to become part of our fantastic little community where we discuss life, the universe, and Resident Evil. You can find a link to the server as well as all of our social media profiles at our website, fasprayPod.com. It's the support of our listeners that keeps First Aid Spray going, so why not check out our merchandise or our Patreon page? Tears begin at just $1 a month. Head over to patreon.com forward slash fasprayPod for a full list and the chance to create bonus first day spray content in terms of housekeeping from us start with a bit of an announcement which went on social media a few days ago very happy to say that we have crossed over the 100,000 download mark for podcast plays which is awesome appropriately timed as we come very close to our fifth anniversary so thank you to everyone of course for you know supporting the show and continuing to listen and yeah as we say spreading the good word and all that stuff yeah, it's an exciting milestone, so thanks everyone for that. And thank you to all of our patrons for continuing to support First Aid Spray. There has been a lot of new content recently, and as of literally this evening as we record this, hitting that 100,000 downloads, we thought, let's put up a new bonus episode poll, which is out now. It's the return of the pile of shame, so that poll is open to be voted on for about a week. Elsewhere, the new bonus episode is the Film Club for Halloween, where we broke down the 1978 and 2018 versions of Michael Myers' I was going to say adventure. That's probably not the right word. <laughs> and, I mean, uh, for him, maybe. <laughs> yeah, sure. And uh, elsewhere, the Now That's What I Call Survival Horror episode for Metroid Fusion, where Jordan picked his top 10 tracks from that game, is also available for Patreons, which was, uh, yeah, really fun to talk about a Game Boy Advance soundtrack, of all things. Meanwhile, on the YouTube, you can go check out the latest episode of Tear Death Experience, which is the Resident Evil movie characters, specifically characters from the games, and how we thought they fared in the films, and ranking them from best to worst. And also the latest episode of A Moment of Relief, where we discussed the answers to some of Resident Evil's biggest mysteries and plot holes. That's available now on YouTube and on your podcast feeds. There isn't any Resident Evil news, actually, since the last episode, so we're just going to roll right in to our main topic of discussion, which is Resident Evil the board game. And now, reading the file, Plant 42 report from Resident Evil Remake, Derek Alvarez, who you can follow on Twitter at Derek A-L-H-E. Four days have passed since the accident. The plant at Point 42 is growing at an amazing rate. 
Although there are many unknown aspects about this plant, we know that in comparison with the other group of plants, the T-virus has had a substantially stronger effect on this one. The T-virus has drastically morphed its host's anatomy as well as its size. Looking at its current state, it's difficult to imagine its original appearance. Nowhere on Earth will you find anything like it. We've also found that Plan 42 has two main sources of acquiring its necessary nutrients. One source is through its root. Somehow it has rooted itself down into the basement. Immediately after the accident, a scientist went mad and destroyed the aqua ring. Ever since, the basement has been like a pool. There is a high possibility that it's one of the chemicals in the water that's promoting the Plant 42's rapid growth. However, we have yet to determine the specific chemical. Alright, very excited to crack into this one. You know, Resident Evil, the board game, and First Aid Spray obviously have a long history together. We've talked about it before. The podcast doesn't really exist without the board games. That's how many of us got to know each other. And so we have covered Resident Evil 2, the board game, and Resident Evil 3, the board game, in the past. But as always, these episodes kind of have, I think, a unique audience. I think a lot of the First Aid Spray listeners, a good amount of them, are obviously aware of the board games and possibly are fans of the board games. But not everybody necessarily knows about that aspect of what's going on in the Resident Evil community. And also, there will be people listening to this, potentially, that have come over from the Resident Evil board game community that, you know, aren't au fait with first aid spray. So, welcome to everyone. Essentially, we'll do our best to uh, review the board game a little bit, all coming at it from slightly different perspectives. And uh, we'll be doing a Q&A with Sherwin towards the sort of second half of this episode with questions from the Facebook community. Um, so for context, Resident Evil board game, as I've said, is the third game in the series after Resident Evil 2 and Resident Evil 3. This one is based on the 2002 remake. It went to Kickstarter in October of 2021. As of now, uh, the games have been delivered to backers just under two years later, which is about standard. On Kickstarter, it raised over £1.4 million, pledged by over 9,000 backers. And meanwhile, the core game and the expansions Into the Darkness and Bleak Outpost, uh, Bleak Outpost are now available via the Steamforged website and other retailers for those that missed the Kickstarter. Resident Evil The Board Game is a fully cooperative campaign-based game where you take the Stars members through the Spencer Mansion and fight off and escape the claws of monsters, zombies, hunters, Crimson Heads, Leagues of Trevor, the Tyrant, so on and so forth. The game features an open-ended structure where you can choose to explore different wings of the mansion and its grounds however you'd like, in whatever order you'd like, or however order you potentially can, depending on what key items you found along the way. Doing your best to potentially save your allies, potentially avoid a traitor in your midst who may not be Sunglasses Man, and potentially get the best rank possible. Obviously some of these features, as well as other characters, enemies, bosses and so on, come from expansions. It's a big, meaty prospect. We're going to give our thoughts on the game, but first of all, Sherwin, obviously I wanted to come to you first. How do you feel now that the project's in everybody's hands? What's the feeling at Steamforged HQ wrapping up the third Resident Evil project at this point? I think... Uh, I mean, obviously there's, there's, always, there's always a sense of, uh, of relief when it lands with people. And because for me, for me, large parts of any Resident Evil game have always existed as bits of paper with scribbles on them. 
uh, red pen yeah. on a whiteboard, uh, and then a whole bunch of prototypes. And at some point, obviously, after we'd made two, the models started looking actually like Resident Evil models because we actually, you know, we could actually literally use Resident Evil models to play test with. Um, but way back when, it was old Warhammer models. <laughs> so, um, so that's the thing. But no, there's, it's always a very surreal moment whenever any Resident Evil lands because it's seeing something in the flesh that we've been working on for a whole bunch of time. Um, however, largely, um, yeah, obviously I can't speak for everybody, but from a personal level, it's it's always extremely um, it's always extremely nice. It's always extremely pleasant to see how how much passion there is in the community for these games. Um, I've always been very humbled by by our community. It's always something which has really made me immensely proud of what we've been able to achieve um, and actually give back to the community because that's always what every Resident Evil project feels like. It feels like very much mm. a love letter to the fans. And um, yeah, I've I've thoroughly enjoyed the process and everyone. And this one comes with the with also with the uh, with a whole dose of recognition apparently. Um, like we are getting some insanely good reviews right now. Resident Evil, um, so yeah, it's it's also combined with that, which is a it's a bit odd because I thought everyone's supposed to hate us, but there we are. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like the community aspect of it, it's one of those things where I've talked about this personally, where it's like I don't really like Facebook. I would rather not have Facebook in a way. But one of the reasons I keep it is for the board game community. <laughs> like it really is that good. I've not. I, I'm in no other Facebook group that's uh, of the same quality, and it's always the same when there's a new Resident Evil board game coming. It's just really exciting to see everyone um, experiencing their games, everyone unboxing it, everyone immediately jumping right in, seeing what happens to on each individual playthrough. Now we're getting the flood of painted miniatures and stuff, which is just I just love that stuff. So it's always great to see. Obviously, this campaign had some real interesting community engagement when it came to the Kickstarter itself because we had the Choose Your Own Adventure Story show and I don't know if you want to explain that a little bit. Yeah, so that was... Um, I'm That's that's another... <clears throat> that's possibly uh, my most favourite thing I've ever done at Steamforge. Um, <laughs> it was the most fun I've had. It was exhausting. Uh, it was the most fun I've had. So for uh, those who weren't familiar with it, we were able to... I have no idea how I achieved this, but we were able to convince Capcom that what they should let me do is write a story um, for our Kickstarter updates. So we started off on the first day and said, you're in the mansion. You hear a gunshot behind this door. You hear footsteps up you know, above you. Where do you want to go? And there's a narrative where obviously it's it's you and Jill and Chris. Um, and I think that's... I think we didn't put Barry in at that point. I think we had Joel. We had Wesker, of course. Mm-hmm. And um, you're in the mansion. And it's where do you want to go? And at that point... Every day we had a player vote, which determines the most votes. We go in that direction, and we kind of seeded different ideas. Yeah, you know, sort of hints as to what you might find there. Yeah, you know, for example, it might be the footsteps are like a feel like someone's running, uh, which immediately says, okay, that could be a survivor, or it could be a crimson head. You know, your TBD. Um, you know, we hear like a cry <laughs> of pain or whatever, so you know it's probably a survivor around there. That sort of stuff. Um, and depending on which you, which route you took, that's what you unlocked uh, to be added to your pledge. Uh, with the additional bonus that at various different points whenever you would find certain enemies uh, and that was crimson heads you also had uh, a, or it's actually any enemy I think you actually had like a um, this decision point to make which is do you want to try and save a character there was a, ca- there was a player vote where everyone voted on the survivors that you had found at that point and added to the player pool and the character with the least votes got narratively killed and wouldn't make it out of the mansion 
Um, and that was that was incredible fun because I always love I always try to do something engaging with the Resident Evil community. You know, when it comes to the Kickstarters, because you know the community just really does engage in an incredible way, mm-hmm. and and it's always amazing to see like the vote for Barry pin badges that we create and everything else turn up. Like there's, I, I look at some Kickstarters now and people still have them. And it makes me really, really happy to see like <laughs> every so, so cool. often you've got like the you know vote Brad sticker or whatever else. It's just so nice to see some <laughs> of those uh, are still resonant. So yeah, it, that that was that was super fun. And if nothing else, I got to very much indulge kind of the uh, the writing element of me, which I don't get to do too often, and actually write a, a, narr- a Resident Evil narrative, which was super fun. So. Mm. Yeah, I was going to ask, you know, obviously, how did this compare to previous Kickstarter campaigns? Because, you know, being that this is the third Resident Evil one, but also obviously you've done plenty of others with other games, feel like it would be a little bit like, I wouldn't say old hat, but sort of more comfortable than the, you know, mania of some of your earlier ones and that kind of stuff. So by the sounds of it, you just decided to make it more <laughs> challenging for yourself uh, by I mean, doing this as well. Every, every, day, every day I had to write roughly three, you know, like roughly about three to four thousand words of narrative that was kind of entertaining <laughs> in its own way and edit and then get that yeah. across so we could actually punt it out as an update so that kind of added certain challenges I mean, kickstarter isn't ever fixed kickstarter is a fascinating beast it's ever evolving it's always changing in terms of the length of campaigns how you approach stretch goals um you know how you might market things what any particular community might be receptive to or not receptive to um you know if there's a licensor involved you know how they might feel about different bits and pieces Every, there's no such thing as a straightforward Kickstarter or kind of very much a uh, sort of um, a template for them, not really. And this one was no exception. I mean, arguably, this one is the one where you go, well, of all the Resident Evils, you've got the most bedded audience already. It's a known entity. It's Resident Evil. Like, you know, what can you do? But we really wanted to turn Resident Evil, this one, into a celebration of Resident Evil. It was the 25th mm. anniversary of Resident Evil when we launched it. And it was something where we really wanted to pull the stops out and make something truly incredible to make people really remember that 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 campaign and it's been very nice to see that people have said that um that seems to have worked people i've read some very very nice things from people online about how much they enjoyed it i know that some people out there <coughs> sharky um are um pulling, to, uh, pulling together like yeah all the bits that i wrote for you know and create a book out of it and all sorts which is please don't use human skin as bonding that's a bad idea but otherwise very nice and very flattering thank you um, so yeah, it's it's good. <laughs> yeah, uh, just one last shout out to the community before we move on a little bit, just because you know how we couldn't have a board game episode without saying hashtag praise the moth, really, could mm. we? Yes. And this sort of thing goes all the way back to Resident Evil 2, the board game, where everyone was passionate about seeing the moth in the game, which wasn't originally planned, and we've had something like that through all three iterations and. You know, you were talking about killing characters off in the narrative and them not being originally um, planned to be, you know, get an advanced character. If they survive, they get an advanced version of the character. If they don't, then too bad. So choose wisely and hopefully. But of course, everyone was like, well, that's (laughs) I can't I can't deal without two every character. So, of course, everyone immediately campaigned for that kind of thing. Um, and that became a cool Kickstarter exclusive. So I love watching every time. It's like, what's going to be the thing that everyone rallies around? Is there, is there a, are there meetings about that at Steamforge? <laughs> yeah. uh, what's the community do, meme going to be this do you time? Know, we have that. I mean, the, we've had that. Yes, that's always a, that's always a conversation. Um, 
we we the, obviously the moth wasn't a thing. The moth really was an absolute astonishing thing uh, that happened. A real phenomenon. <laughs> um, and there's always a conversation of what do we think the moth, or do we think there's a moth this time? And that doesn't just stop at Resident <laughs> Evil. Every game is what's the moth? Like that, that's now a term that <laughs> so we throw good. around. Um, so <clears throat> I mean, the moth is the moth is so uh, prevalent that we've left the moth in all of the Resident Evils as the danger as the danger level icon. Yeah, and that's why yeah. the moth is in there as a nod to our community because, like, we have new people going, "Why is it a moth? Or what's that?" And it's like, "It's a moth." And those who know know, and they're like, "Yeah, that's right, it's a moth." It's, it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just so what bad. it is. I love it. I did have a comment about the Kickstarter. Um, I, independently of my participation in the community, um, I actually had somebody send that to me because they knew I liked Resident Evil, but like just tangentially through playing Final Fantasy fourteen and think, oh, this is something that you might be interested in. Which I thought was crazy. Sorry, yeah. I thought was absolutely bananas because it's, um I was gonna say it's it this one more than most, certainly I've seen other people talking about like in the Resident Evil community especially, I saw people counting down to the release and stuff. So yeah, the the sort of trajectory uh, of these games is definitely on the up. As you say, more people are like, "Oh, do you, were you aware of this?" You know, <laughs> not knowing, of course, Burger, that you've been a playtester on every game up to this except, point, except for two. I didn't playtest. Right. Okay. Yeah, Fair enough. But, it's it uh, is worth saying that obviously we're all coming at this from slightly different perspectives. Obviously, showing the closest to the project. I worked at Steam Forge during the period of this Kickstarter. I did some internal playtesting for Resident Evil: The Board Game um, before I left. Yeah, uh, the beginning of 2022 so I did work on the project a little bit but by the time it arrived I was fully back into consumer um, and Steve you previously playtested RE3 is that correct but not that, RE1 that's right yeah okay cool so we're all at slightly different sort of levels of exposure you know closeness to the project but all the same it all comes right back to we were a fan of Resident Evil 2 the board game so yeah it's been a long time coming I think to talk about Resident Evil 1 in board game form so we're going to do that Starting with the gameplay, um, which I felt like going from Resident Evil 2 to Resident Evil 3, there were obviously a lot of broad tweaks that were really, really welcome. You know, the way that enemy special attacks worked. We had the the ability to do your campaign in whatever order you wished. And a lot of these have carried through into RE1. The biggest change for me... That's the starkest change in selling point that I enjoy the most personally for Resident Evil, the board game, RE1, is not laying out... This sounds so simple, but not laying out the whole scenario map every time. Like with RE2 and with RE3, when you start a scenario, you're like, okay, I'm going to place down all the city streets or part of the RPD or whatever it is, um, and we'll have a full sort of overhead view of where we go trying to get to. With RE1... You place down a few rooms potentially with doors that lead off into mystery. So your first playthrough, there is n no ability to sort of forward plan with it, which which sounds potentially like a bad thing, but that's something that you want because something that board games have always been really good at is sort of retaining the survival horror feeling. You can play the video games over and over and over again, and just like we all do, I can speed run RE2 like nobody's business. I know where everything is. Nothing throws me off anymore but the board games have so many elements to them that make you feel like you're playing resident evil for the first time uh steve what is how do you feel about sort of the broad strokes of re1's changes to the board game formula 
there's a lot of layers to it, isn't there? Like you know, you've mm. got the whole layers mission, is a good word. The mission system, the the map system, the way that the actual campaign unfolds. You've got to find the right C item to do the right scenario and. Yeah, you know, cart before the horse. Me and James might have had a slight, uh, a slight fumble, and we tried to do a scenario without the correct C item, and many a swear word was had. So, uh, <laughs> need to say, Sherwin, um, you're on the naughty list um, <laughs> in the best possible way. But no, I do, I do think that you hit the right on the money with the, the way the map unfurls. It, it is to, to mimic a first-time playthrough um, with the, the the map system. I kind of felt like, was there ever a point where we were going to do a randomizer to the mansion? Like I, that's what I was initially thinking when you pull all these cards out, but they're obviously they're set for the scenarios, mm-hmm. uh, so you can't like you know randomly add a wing of the lab into the mansion. Well, I mean, if you're right. feeling frisky, showing my glare at you. Um, <laughs> you, do you but man. no, I. I <laughs> <laughs> but I, I yeah, I, I appreciate the, the the challenge. This one's definitely the the veterans game, especially with how many different micro games, and they they feel like micro games all part of the same experience. Mm. Uh, obviously, the, the core main thrust where you're rolling dice and you're choosing your four action reactions, that's that's as much as if you played RE2 and RE3, you, you'll be at least set in. But then there's the, the mission system. And, you know, if you add in, like, traitor mode and uh, enemy... Is it enemy Wesker mode? Uh, Other mm. wrinkles to throw in with surprise attacks. Uh, it's surprisingly intricate. Uh, I feel like this, it's almost a bit too much for my simple brain to handle, but... It's been a fun ride. <laughs> I layers is such a good word because I I've been playing it by myself, but I've also been playing it with a group, and so I was I've been doing things a little bit differently. Like the starting characters obviously are Chris, Jill, Barry, and Rebecca. Or alternatively, what I did on my own playthrough is I just shuffled all the character cards together and be like, you know what, I'm starting as uh, Richard and Forrest. Cool, you know stuff like that. When I play with my group, there is so many potential extra layers that you can put on. As you say, like Enemy Wesker, One Dangerous Zombie, stuff like that, where I was like, I ha- I'm going to figure out, I think, the complexity level for my group and not throw too many things at them. And obviously, as you say, it's for the for the veterans, for the people that have played, uh, are potentially going to play this through this multiple times or are ready to dive right into the deep end, yeah, you could chuck loads of stuff at this and make it a, an interesting beast of your own design, certainly. Uh, we also, by the way, speaking of uh, <laughs> blaming Sherwin, that is a catchphrase in our group at this point, is shaking your fist into the sky and going, Sherwin, whenever something goes wrong. We just wanted to... <laughs> so that's fine. Apparently that's a universal thing. Reputation um, proceeds. It's, it's got to be done. <laughs> and it is worth saying, and you know, perhaps this is another talking point, but this game I find much more challenging and it's kind of welcome because RE3 for me was... A tad on the easy side. It was good fun in the way that RE3 perhaps should be, where it's fun to run around blast monsters and stuff because it's a bit more action-focused when it comes to the video game. So it didn't feel out of place when it came to the board game. This game keeps you absolutely on your toes. Uh, Bergs, as a veteran of the board games at this point, how do you feel about what RE1 adds to the formula? Oh, I uh, definitely think that it is my favorite iteration of this this mm-hmm. format um i was going through the box as it arrived and like sherwin said at the top it's definitely an experience that m- most of the time because i play a lot of this game um and most of the time i'm using proxy pieces mm-hmm. uh pieces from other games uh and I love opening a new Resident Evil board game. 
Uh, just in yeah. terms of talking about it from like that first opening the box experience, I, I'm Sai is going to probably be mad at me because I've been playing with the lenticular like box top cover the entire time we've been sitting here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think it makes much noise, but if it does, I'm very sorry. I love you. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> um, with that said, I put it down. Okay. Uh, anyway, I just every time like the box opening experience is is delightful. Uh, I love seeing the iterations of the plastic and how everything layers together. This one already was all completely laid out basically for me. Um, wonderful work on that end. Uh, so just the, the the production design and like how the graphic design changes to be more thematic to each experience has also just been a treat. Um, man, these are such fun games to to pick up and play with. It, the I'm so surprised after this, like playing this one, that we didn't think of, we didn't just not set up other rooms before. Like it feels right. so natural. Yeah. Mm. Like you just you just want to play the game that way. Um. So yeah, no, I I I I really enjoyed it. Mm. Um. And the minis in this one. Like yeah. Sherwin, we'll, guys. We'll, like, we'll definitely but, talk about that factor. Mm. Absolutely. When it comes to laying down the rooms, it's it's also just like it's some, it feels like a minor thing, but it, it it's kind of not. It's the setup time changes completely, which I really appreciate. Like you can get started so much quicker. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you have to take a sh- small break to put the rest of the rooms in, but it's better that it's in manageable chunks rather than, especially if you're playing with a group where it's like, hang on, guys, let me place down everything. And- you know what else too? It also encourages like group participation at that point yeah, because true. everybody kind of gets invested in. All right, so flip this over. You know, somebody will go grab the specific tokens you need. Somebody else will go find the door. The doors. Yeah. Um. So yeah. like, it, it does increase like everybody's. It keeps you from wandering your attention to other parts of the um of the table or other mm. activities while you're playing the game. So right. I, I I thought that was pretty cool about it. They made the mm-hmm, tiles sure. simpler as well, didn't they? Like, they, there used to be different versions of, like, 3x3s three that would have different biohazard spawn markers, whereas now they're mostly homogenous or uh, the same each time. So players can, like, you know, as long as that is the right shape, it will work. Uh, mm. Ease of access, making it simpler for people. For sure. The only change slightly is that there's, like, new wall markings on some of the tiles that you need to yeah. be aware of. But, you know, otherwise, absolutely, like, the setup time feels much more fluid in general because of it um and it just invites that and like we talked about this with re3 and all the stuff comes over that you're like you finish a scenario and it's like immediately i want to jump into the next one because a i know that it's going to be quick to sweep sweep the board down and put down at the beginning of the next scenario largely speaking and also well we're here now all i need to do is maybe add a new tension deck card that the scenario adds in potentially permanently for the rest of the game and you know new items here and there new exploration cards and that kind of stuff and we talked about that with re3 the sort of evolving nature um in the same way both you just said like how are we not doing the placing down certain rooms as we go thing with re3 it was just like oh yeah this is the way the campaign should have always been really really shouldn't it where it's like oh the the a item deck evolves as you go so i've got the shotgun so now all the shells go in there and i can find them out in the wild and stuff like that um, so happy to see all that stuff obviously be brought across. Uh, I really appreciate the um, the new door markers too. 
the um, like the ones for the one-way door where it's the this the icon is, is green on the one side to indicate that you can only go through it the one direction. Oh right, yeah. Um, mm. Yeah, no, this is this has been a delight. I'm excited to see what's going to be coming forward with the um, the next one. Right. Well, that's also something that we'll definitely get to on this episode a little bit later. Just a, tis a tease for you, certainly. Um, in terms of other new additions, though, I don't know if anybody had anything where it's like, oh, yeah, this was awesome or that they really enjoyed um, in terms of new additions. Um, this is a really rather minor one, and it almost makes it sound like I'm trying to toot my own horn here. But I recently, weirdly, and Bergs, I don't even know if you remember this, way back when RE2 came out, I think it was me, you, Adam, I don't know if there's anyone else, but we were talking about doing a Remake 2 mod for RE2, the board game, where we would introduce some of the stuff that the remake did. Yeah. And, was, and defense items was on there. And some of the ideas that we came up with for defense items are essentially <laughs> what Steamforge did. So, like, that, like, in, so what I'm saying in my estimation is they absolutely made the right choice with the way the defense items work. That's obviously a new addition that Remake added. You know, the daggers, the flash grenades, and that kind of thing. The Jill's little electro. What even is that thing? Taser. Um, taser. That's the word. Thank you. <laughs> like the way they all work and they're all slightly different is really cool. I appreciate that. And it's just another thing where it's like, it's nice to have this in my inventory. Now I have to worry about one less space in my inventory, but I feel safer with this here. Uh, Steve, you mentioned missions and stuff like that. Anything? In, is that something that stands out to you that you really like, or anything else in particular that was an addition that you like? I, I, it's tricky, is, is the word. Me, me and James are struggling getting our head around it the first time. Uh, but I've been reading the manual since, and in my solo play, it's been fun. Although I have inadvertently got Wesker killed. And he just because he gets one extra damage. He can, he can, like, technically, he can technically sneak back in. But, uh, yeah, uh, right. needs to say, he's not the traitor this time. So, uh, <laughs> who is? <laughs> I had... Um... I drew a narrative card and couldn't rest. I, I think it was a mission and I couldn't complete the mission, unfortunately, which ultimately killed my first survivor that I found. And Enrico died right away. And I was like, well, poor Enrico, I guess. I guess uh, uh, it's the fun of it, though. Because yeah. normally, well, basically, the net benefit to the player is obviously you get like uh, more items in the A deck and uh, supplies in the item box. There's obviously more intricacies to it that you'll find, but uh, as a, a nice little bonus, but with also a leverage of risk, uh, it's nice. I feel like you could potentially probably put it to the side if you're completely like, you know, bamboozled by it. Me and James did play, play our first half playthrough. But, uh, we did kind of like go, oh, that's, that's confusing, scary. Let's just do the scenario. But it, mm. it's worth your time if you can learn it. Yeah, it's, uh, it does seem like a, you know, it, I feel like it's the biggest, strangest, maybe if that's the right word, addition where it's like, okay, I really wasn't expecting this and it works completely differently. It all relates on completely new elements because the encounter deck is a brand new change from the encounter table, drawing cards to spawn certain enemies in the room. Um, it does, uh, there has been people that are like, I don't get it, but when they get it, it's it is really it yeah the situations that can come out are really fantastic on our first scenario we had a mission card which essentially said uh you can put a stars member here and then pretty much any encounter card that you draw you can just place here and forget about it and it, you don't have to draw from the card it will cost the stars member you put here a wound but we were like 
Yeah, it's Brad. Who cares about Brad? So, <laughs> Brad, so Brad kind of uh, ate a bunch of potentially difficult cards really early on for us. Um, and then we happened to get an advance, advance a character narrative card, uh, and our Richard got advance, and he's perfect for completing missions. So we seem pretty set up from the get-go on this. Watch me say that now, of course. The mansion danger level rises very fast in this. I'm deeply afraid, but <laughs> we feel like we're safe, even though I know personally we're not. Uh, Berger, anything in particular uh, from the new stuff that really stands out to you gameplay-wise? Uh, you hit the nail on the head with the, the encounter deck. Oh, uh, the encounter the deck. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. It, well, honestly, it's those two extra layers, like Steve said. Mm. Um, I, I, our, our, when you turn, <laughs> we felt so, I feel so bad thinking about it this way. But my my playtest group was always very like mechanically oriented. Mm. So like we basically just had a wound farm of just people like to <laughs> <laughs> we just using using our our re, uh, people as resources uh, at that point uh, like <laughs> brad vicker's health like i mean the man's been in every board game and now he's just <laughs> he's just he's, 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 he's a veteran he can take it he best be in four Sherwin. just saying um <laughs> this this was one that we we we, we legitimately had fun with those because because it was so challenging mm. um and it's also the one that that we we got the most of. Like when we would lose, it was the one we were really upset about because it was always pretty close. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for sure. Mm. But like um, the the feeling of playing through like remake one as a fan of it's the playing through this game is it you know to get kind of meta with it is playing through like reminded me of playing through remake like mm -hmm. because at this point I played this board game three times. Right, uh, and this is just the a new way to experience it, and so those added mechanics are what really did it. For, like, were I think part of that distillation of the mm -hmm. ultimate, like Resident Evil, the game overall. Yeah. yeah, it's, and we've both we've all kind of alluded to it at this point. Um, it's probably in a way a good thing that the next game, in theory is going to makes going to have to make changes just based on what it is because I don't know what else you can add to this to do it like the fact there's even puzzles in this like coming across that during internal play testing and finding out that was a thing was like okay this is awesome and some of the scenarios where you have to go around you know doing the Resident Evil thing where essentially you go around poking buttons and stuff like that and trying to get things in the right order just feels so right and just come out yeah. across elements where it's like, I've got to play the piano, so I've got to roll a bunch of rolls to see if I can play the piano correctly. It's like, ah, oh, yes, this. The shotgun trap is really early on and perfectly mm. put together in this. It's, yeah, I don't know what you could add to this at this point. It feels like the complete experience. Which, um, to get layered and meta with it again, is it's going to be mind-blowing to see what Sherwin creates because of how different Resident Evil four was from the rest of the series at that point mm. let's bugs you've already you touched on it let's talk about the design the miniatures yeah. the cardstock all that kind of stuff bugs why don't you kick us off um how do you feel uh, about uh, the way the game looks i love it um in addition to the um just general mechanics and, and stuff changes the uh presentation of how the information is conveyed i think has just been fantastic every time uh, yeah. and and just gets better Mm -hmm. um i i think that and this this may or may not be intentional but I, as a 
uh, a human with ADHD, I tend to find symbols to be much more easy for me to just reference in my brain. So I have always appreciated that a lot of the iconography on the cards is very like simple, symbol heavy, where once I learn what the, you know, double blood tokens means, I can just park that information. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, when you get it right the first time, it really works. And so seeing this, even just the aesthetic changes to stuff like that, like on the equipment cards, mm-hmm. um, is just wonderful. Uh, the tiles too, every time. Yeah. Um, always improving. I, at this point, probably have six or seven different, like full sets of Resident Evil World tiles. <laughs> Amazing. Um, and I love it. Uh, like I said, and just how the boxes put together everything as well is boom. Double thumbs yes, up. Yes, I, I really love the Kickstarter boxes for this one. I have to say I wasn't massively keen on Resident Evil 3's being the Umbrella logo. I was like, yeah, it's fine, but it doesn't scream RE3 specifically to me. But having the original Biohazard Japanese cover eyeball as the Kickstarter box is really, really cool. But weirdly, the thing that stood out to me in terms of design before we get into miniatures, um, I got an insane rush of, like, I guess, nostalgia looking at some of the cards. Uh, The way that remakes sort of very distinctive visual design. It's only that game. Zero is the only game that gets close to looking like remakes sort of stylization. And even then, it's different enough. I was like, this can only be remake, and I was surprised at how much it bowled me over to see that in card format. I would have thought that the, and maybe it, you know, when it came out, I'm sure it did, but like the classic sort of 1998 Resident Evil 2 stuff would have been my favourite. But yeah, the the stuff, the retro pack that you can get, and it's like a copy of every card in the game, but stylized to look sort of 1996 to 1998 ish. Those are all great. But immediately it was like, oh no, I'm using the 2002 remake stuff. In fact, I'm going to paint my miniatures largely in that style as well. I didn't think too much about it until everything arrived. And I was like, yeah, the packaging for this is so beautiful. I just want to tie it all together that way. Um, and yeah, the, the card design in general was, uh, yeah, chef's kiss for sure. Steve, how do you feel about the design of the game? Uh, aesthetically, these models are like, uh, they're pretty good. They're pretty nice. Yeah. Like, I'm a sucker for a good mini, and like, especially advanced Forest Spear with the dual wielding mania of a shotgun and a pistol. I think it's actually a grenade launcher and a pistol. Grenade yeah, launcher, yeah, yeah. I, I love it. Um, yeah. But I, I want to just shout out, like, there's a big reevaluation this that you have the, the encounter deck instead of like a dice. And the actual design on those cards it's for a little card with an image of a silhouette of something like that, it's actually kind of creepy yeah, in the best yeah, possible yeah. way that kind of stuff like it's haunting and the way that it's like the flicker of lightning silhouetting just whatever horrible creature is appearing mm. I love it uh, yeah, definitely uh, the tone. I kind of feel like this is a catch-all, though. I mean, I don't know if it was the mission statement to be just Remake to, uh, remake 1, but there are obviously elements like, you know, it's called a director's cut, and then you've got, like, um, Battle Mode, Gold Tyrant. Uh, I feel like this is almost a catch-all of all things Resident Evil 1. Yes. There's only one thing missing, and that's the tick. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I can live with that. You know, we can... we can have, tick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's pretty cool. Uh, I especially am a fan of the Neptune Mini. It's basically just a giant head jumping out of the base, but it looks like, you know, creepy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and, uh, you know, plant, plant 42 is a two-part salad onion, so that's amazing. Yeah. 
I think the first ever two-part Resident Evil miniature you, you need to click together yeah. uh, to this point. Uh, it's really cool, and the boss fight's great. Um, I, yeah, big time, actually, agree when it comes to the miniature design. is just uh, it's unbelievably good. And I was a little bit nervous about painting all the stars, I'm going to be honest. But, I, you know, I did most of them in like a day because I was just like... I'm having so much fun. Look at all these classic character designs. I'm having so much fun painting up, you know, Joseph Frost and stuff. And having them all in front of me, I was like, this is cool. Plus 24 of them, right? Everyone gets right, one yeah. alternate Everybody sculpt. gets a second costume, yeah, and all the alternative costumes for Chris and Jill and stuff like that. And you know what? The tick might be missing, but that's the beauty. We are talking about the community. I'm amazed no one else has done this yet, but I'm probably going to make a tick enemy card. Uh, myself in Photoshop, and I've got some extra hun- hunter miniatures from RE3. I'll just paint them a little, you know, a little brown. <laughs> It'll do. They can proxy in. It'll be fine. And then when we get to the caves, we can drop some ticks in there. And there you go. <laughs> so it's all is not lost in that front. But yeah, the miniature quality is as good as ever with Steamforge. They are, and I know everything that I say. I know that everything that we all say, but oh, because I work there, I feel even more like where it's like. I feel a little bit like I'm biased, but they're the best company when it comes to board game miniatures that I've ever experienced. Like, I've, there's nothing up there for me that it's this level of quality in a board game. They're only a few shades away from war games to me, which is remarkable considering uh, it's it's a whole other field of expertise, really. And when it comes to making an affordable product of this level of quality, uh, Berg's miniatures, uh, that's definitely your realm. Oh, absolutely 10 out of 10. In mm. fact, um, the other thing, again, I know I've been saying this quite a bit, but I love opening a um, a new Resident Evil miniature game. Uh, just, again, to, to see the new zombie minis, the new zombie sculpts, yeah. Yeah. Um, the new character sculpts, and, and again, every time, every time they're better. Mm-hmm. Like, this Chris, you know, this Chris has eyeballs and cheekbones. Like, <laughs> yeah. my, my man is handsome. <laughs> So what you're saying is we need less definition so they look like their PS1 counterparts. No, <laughs> just, just square more bricks. definition. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Uh, 10 out of 10. Um, mm. Neptune Mini, all, all of it. Uh, and that's honestly like my favorite my favorite thing from the increases is seeing the boss minis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For um, sure. The, the big nemesis things from Resident Evil 3, the giant worm that um, we painted on Itchy Painty. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. And and then, again, like you said, the, the Neptune Mini and uh, Plant 42, the, <laughs> would you call it a lettuce onion? Salad onion. It looks like somewhere between its PS1 and Remake counterpart as well, which mm. is nice. It's mm. not one or the other. It's its own uh, best greatest hits version. yeah for sure I also just to close it up I recently painted the Lisa Trevor miniature shout out to that by the way things ghastly like when you're painting something obviously you're looking up images to sort of like make sure you've got the shades of colour right and any details you might not necessarily thought about it made me look long and hard at Lisa Trevor like I never have before and 
Good God. Yeah, painting, that was an experience. I With my little painting group, who are all sitting there painting boring Warhammer soldiers, and I'm like, i got this grody child woman thing who's wearing faces on her face. Look, <laughs> she's got an eye on her back. Forgot that was a thing. You know, so, yeah. The, the, the love is clearly in those miniatures, for sure. A bulb-like body of the Plant 42 has been sighted hanging from the ceiling of the first floor. We are sure that it used the air ducts to reach the first floor. Numerous long tentacle-like vines are protruding from the bulb. We believe the vines are the second means of acquiring its nutrients. When the Plant 42 senses prey, it uses the tentacle-like vines to capture its prey. After doing so, suckers on the vine drain the prey of its blood. We've also noticed that it has some intelligence. When it captures its prey, or when it's inactive, the vines twine around the door to stop possible intruders. Unfortunately, several of our scientists have already fallen victim to this Plant 42. When we heard the stories from the survivors, they all observed one thing in common. When the uniform petal-like flaps open and reveal its vital internals, it has a tendency to become more aggressive. One witness reported that it was as if it was trying to protect itself. Why it behaves the way it does is still unknown. May 21, 1998, Henry Sarton. Let's take it now on a slightly different direction into the Q&A. Um, as I said, we've polled the Resident Evil official board game community for these questions. So most of these questions come from there and we'll do our best to answer what we can. Uh, we've divvied them up. So Steve, if you'd like to kick us off and uh, Sherwin can step up to the plate and knock these down. Our first question, what was the process for starting Resident Evil the board game following Resident Evil 2 and Resident Evil 3? Why the original and not a later game in the series? So interestingly, after we finished Resident Evil 2, I started working on both Resident Evil 3 and Resident Evil 1 at the same time, uh, to, because I wasn't sure which one was the next one. I knew we were making a Resident Evil game, and logically, Let's make Resident Evil One. We've made number. Yeah, we've made the second game. Uh, the reason we made the second game was because okay, cool. Let's make a Resident Evil game. And then Capcom said, "Well, you know, we've got this remake coming out. You should make a Resident Evil 2. So that's what happened. And uh, after we finished it, it was like, okay. Well, let's make the next Resident Evil. Do we do three because it's the next one, or do we do one because it's the definitive one? The answer was we don't know. So I started making both at the same time. And then, um, and then Capcom went, well, you know. We're making we're making three. Yeah, you could make three, so that's what happened. Now, when it came to Resident Evil One, or Resident Evil, I should say, we knew that that was the what that was the time to go back to it. Uh, obviously, we I'd already started working on it, and it was also something where we knew the twenty fifth anniversary was coming up. So it really mm. was a case of right. So this is what's happening now. No no ifs no buts. That's just what's happening. And also, I had already started working on it in terms of laying out the rule book. So the bro. The process was very much the same. Excuse me. The process was very much the same as what we had for um, for Resident Evil Three, which was very much 
what did we like about the you know what do we like about the previous game in the series what did we not like or want to improve a little bit on the game in the another game in the series what's the what are we driving towards what are the small improvements we can make here yeah what can we polish to make it really sing um, mm. and yeah there's a few things obviously you guys have just mentioned a whole bunch of them the, the big thing I wanted to address and we were in the progress of doing so with the evolving decks was setup time and that's something where I wanted to look at that and I'd had the idea to actually create the the uh, the exploration cards for Resident Evil 3 but because we invented the um, the open world mechanic for it we didn't want to bombard everything into the one place for RE3 so we kind of held off on that for the time being uh, but definitely for RE1 it was going in because um, so, it also created quite a nice claustrophobic feel to what the mansion was so it kind of almost yeah. felt very much like how you want Resident Evil 1 to feel so it became part of the uh, woodwork so to say before that game was it really became part of the DNA so yeah that's that's pretty much the, the big step was really how we came about it as I said in terms of how we approach the process it's always for these Resident Evil games for the first three anyway or for the sorry for three and one was very much how can we iterate on what we already have to improve it polish it because ultimately the engine between the, the original games isn't that different mm. uh, bugs you're up <clears throat> were there any ideas you wanted to include in Resident Evil the board game that you couldn't make work Hmm. Interesting. I think we've kind of got most of them in. There's a tick card that I've not been able to make public. <laughs> oh, okay, you can send that to me. <laughs> oh, right. Um, I think mostly we caught everything. Like we were, mm-hmm. we were very, very lucky with this. That you know, Capcom at this point. Yeah, you know, obviously there's a very big trust. You know, we we at this stage in the game we don't necessarily really. Yeah, you know, we sit down with Capcom and say, "Hey, we're making Resident Evil game." They're like, "You guys go." <laughs> so it's kind of yeah, <laughs> it's less of a conversation. Like, I think we've proved our super fan credentials at this stage. So mm. um, so yeah, that that's very much it. And and you know, Capcom have been absolutely wonderful for us, especially for this game. Uh, especially you know having the bravery to let us do our choose your own adventure narrative. I, I genuinely can't think of anything that we didn't put into this game. Um, you know, it, it's there's a whole bunch. I mean, even the crazy conversation between Steve and I, where we were talking about what we were going to make of Into the Darkness in the Caves, and I said, hey, we should just do rotating tiles, because I've always wanted to do something like that. It's kind of fun. And Steve kind of laughed, and then you know, a small gap happens, and I'm like, no, let's do it. Let's make yeah, silly no. rotating tiles that go around and people will just have people scratching their heads and trying to work out how that happens. And let's do a boulder trap as well. And then at That's that point, the one for me. Yeah. yeah, and at that point, yeah, we just kind of ran with what that was. So, yeah, I, I don't think... In the, I think in this game we put just about everything into it we wanted to. Uh, anything else I, I think would have been adding extra gubbins for the sake of doing it, which I don't think mm. necessarily wanted to. So... I'm really excited to see people play the expansions more when people get to that and start posting about it in the community and stuff like that because some of them, like in the expansions, there's a little bit more freedom to try some weird stuff out there. There's like a almost, I don't know if it's still in the game, there certainly was at one point, um, like a basically defense scenario where you basically just have to wait out hordes of monsters in the garden i think it was but the boulder trap i definitely remember that being something in playtesting it was like this is absolutely nuts i've never seen anything like it and it's it's so refreshing after all the 
very tight corridors of the mansion to go down and have some goofy scenario where you're trying to make sure you're not crushed by a boulder and waiting for it to roll past and stuff like that so yeah it's a there's some good stuff in there for sure and the garden is still in there i get regularly bombarded hey. by people saying we can't complete this it's too hard <laughs> um, that's fair do you know i get it well i, I freezer designed it uh, that's that's exactly what <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. all right yeah <laughs> that makes sense it's got scottish difficulty level built in <laughs> uh, so our next question how were the scenarios approached in relation to breaking down the game into playable chapters i.e first floor west a going to the safe room first floor east being the shotgun and it's relevant puzzle that's an interesting question one of the things we so we, we approached it very differently for each of the different games we wanted to really encapsulate what the feeling was to play re2 was very much built around going from cutscene to cutscene so you start off you you effectively start off in the streets and then you run and then you get to where Marvin is and then that's the end of the first scenario then the next one you go out from there you need to get to the star's office because that's the next scenario then you need to go back to go meet Marvin again and so on and Ferrari 3 we wanted to break it up more into this idea of uh, the item C's as they became introduced we wanted to more kind of encapsulate this is a section of downtown or uptown or you know wherever and we really wanted to sort of capture that kind of vibe for this one we were already going off the grid as it were because we knew we weren't following the exact layout of what the maps were so what we wanted to do is build it around one central theme so you know it is this is the gallery so this is the one where you're going to run around and try and solve the gallery puzzle uh, this is the piano one this is the dog whistle one and that's really what built a lot of different ideas about it. And at the same time, of course, there was a conversation of, well, what else is happening in this part of the mansion at roughly the time when you'd be wandering around doing this thing? Do we want to build that in? That's why we have the fountain plant, you know, is built in where it is, for example, uh, with the piano and so on. There's small details like that. And then as you particularly start to go through, we kind of, exactly as you said, so we started to play around a little bit with the some of the concepts of, you know, let's let's go into the uh, let's go into the aqua ring and come back out again. You know, and then fight Plant Forty Two. Let, but let's build that a little bit more narratively out. So you come back, you come out into a different part of the guardhouse rather than the same place you've just been to, and you're wandering through the same corridors. You know, because we could very easily have said, oh, you come out where you were and you go straight to the new area, which we didn't want to do. We wanted to build that up a little bit differently. Um, so yeah, and obviously when you get to the labs and so on, there's more narrative feel to that. It's very much built into a your first foray into the labs is, hey, let's explore, there's no power, which obviously we added a little bit of detail there, and let's see what happens. And then at that stage, we then get into the next part, and at that point, you're really going down levels and starting to see some really grim stuff, and it, it kind of flows out <laughs> that way. We obviously broke a couple of times with things. Uh, the collapse in ceiling uh, in the basement is obviously entirely new, um, but that was always quite fun. So yeah, we sort of built, we played around with it a little bit, um, and we had some fun, but for the most part, it's built around central core themes for that particular area of the mansion and how we could flesh that out to be a larger thing mm. um, Hayden Cartwright asks of all the many bosses in Resident Evil 1 which was the most fun to design for the game and which was the most difficult to translate interesting so the most fun so 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 straight away the, the most fun the one that I think we did the best job with bar none is the crimson head prototype <laughs> um because that is an enemy which just doesn't in the game is like okay so it's a crimson head cool 
in our game, it's a whole new thing. <laughs> it's it's like it's a whole it's like a crimson head that it is. If this thing was in the video game, it would be terrifying. Um, so, <laughs> so I think we uh, I think we got that one really really right. Um, in terms of the most fun to design, I really like, I mean I like all of them. Lisa Trevor is really unique. Uh, I know that one was a lot of fun. Uh, it was quite a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean. Sadly, not even, no, no, sadly, but I, I don't know. I, th- I think what's what's interesting about them all is the design. I think we pushed the envelope really well with with all of Resident Evil One's bosses. The one exception being the first time you meet the tyrant, who feels actually quite straightforward um, by comparison. It's right. actually probably the most um, straightforward boss of all of them. But that's because the thing is literally just woken up or whatever you describe for coming out of its tank, and it's not necessarily coming after you in the in such an aggressive way. Which made the the fight on the helipad that much more satisfying because that's also quite scary. So, mm. so yeah, I, I think, I mean, I, that's like asking me to p- pick a favourite child. I'll go with Crimson Prototype. That was the most fun, the most challenging to reduce. Probably Plant Forty Two because it is such a unique enemy. Yeah, um, doesn't move. It, it, that, that introduces a whole new element to it. So. I've not got far enough yet to see what the final version of Neptune is, but I remember a day where we were <laughs> trying to figure that one out because there was certainly a period where it was like, well, okay, it's this huge thing. How much can we make it chase you? How much can we not? And there was certainly a part in the design where it's like, well, we'll have these L-shaped corridor passages that you can take refuge in. And I sat down to play test it and then immediately it was like, oh, I could just stand here and shoot it from afar and it can't do anything about it. <laughs> And that, we need why, to do this and that's why you from scratch test. yeah absolutely exactly yeah i remember the like, vents. that doesn't work i remember the vents the vents were a cool idea yeah the vents. Um, yeah i do feel legitimately sad that steve made me take away the corpses that i had flowing in the water around there <laughs> yes yeah yeah um, because they had they added so much fun uh, when i say fun it's it's sherwin fun so everyone else hates it but it was entertaining for me so there i liked it yeah <laughs> To that end, do you have any characters that you're particularly proud of when it comes to their abilities? Okay, this will sound like favoritism, uh, but I don't care because it's absolutely true. I feel on the, I feel on this one, we smashed Barry Burns so so very well, and the reason why is because do you know how if you ask anybody in the Resident Evil community, right, they'll tell you they're either a Barry guy or they're really not a Barry guy. There's nothing in between with Barry. It's such a polarizing <laughs> character. And that's exactly how people interact with our version on the table of Barry Byrne. You ask people about it, and people go, Barry Byrne's clutch. Why would you ever not take Barry Byrne? Or Barry Byrne, by comparison, is just utter trash. Why would you ever take him? Worst character ever. <laughs> and and I think at that we point, to... we've properly encapsulated what that character should be. We had runs where it was like, all right, we can't pick Barry for this one. <laughs> <laughs> we so have on my to play table, test other people it's I mean, slightly different on my table so we have one guy who always plays the tank he played Mikhail in RE3 and Kendo in RE2 so it was just like well you're the Barry player <laughs> I mean at that point quite frankly that that's yeah high five for you my friend whoever you are out there um, <laughs> like the, the greatest game that's ever been made is Mikhail and, and Barry as a tag team yeah. wandering around doing stuff no, I, I think um, I think all of the characters were a lot of fun to create, and what I I'm especially proud of is how they obviously advanced versions aren't a better leveled up version of a character; they're just an alternative take. And what I quite like about them, even so, is and Kenneth is a really good example of this. I've seen a few people talking about, well, Kenneth's got the really awesome knife; it's the master of knife thing, and it's incredible. And yeah, why would you ever not take Kenneth? 
sure, Kenneth early on is amazing. And then Kenneth later on, that knife just means that you're that much closer to death. Don't go there with a knife. Like it's a, it's, a, you know, <laughs> as soon as you get as far as the Chimera or Hunters, you just don't want to be anywhere near them. And at that stage, I think, then you start looking at advanced Kenneth and go, oh, hang on a minute. I'm now starting to see a lot more bosses. I need more ammo. I need more supplies. Mm. I need other stuff. This is, um, this is a key factor to what I really need here. And and I think that's and that kind of evolving state is I think quite interesting for what we achieved with the characters. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'll go Barry, but but they're all super fun. There's a bunch of cool abilities that need shouting out as well because you know and we talked about this in the past. I think the stars characters, everybody loves them, but most of them don't really get any screen time, and we know very little about them. So to translate the tiniest stuff that we know about them or the tiny experiences that we have with them into abilities is really cool. Um, for example, Joseph Frost has um, some kind of ability that interacts specifically with Cerberus because of his previous experiences <laughs> with undead dogs. You've mentioned Master of Knifing. I, uh, there was somebody in the Facebook community a few weeks ago that asked, why? Why Master of Knifing? And it's that is a Deadly Silence reference specifically because Kenneth is really good with the knife in uh, the multiplayer uh, portion of that game. So it's a really obscure reference. I think Edward has some movement abilities because his hobby is dancing. Um, stuff like that where it's like, yeah, you're pulling from such a small amount of information, but it's really cool because it's like, yeah, this is a really interesting perspective on these characters that everyone loves, but we don't really know that much about or have never really had the experience to spend any time with them. And sometimes you have a fun... Like, Forrest is the one that comes to my mind, which mm. is um, anything he shoots more than four away, uh, he confirms his hits. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, it's gr- so good. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very powerful. Uh, and compl- that was his jam. He was yep. the sniper person. So Ferdinand asks Sherwin, what was the hardest part to get implemented from the video game to the board game? That's a hard question. It's interesting because a lot of... Yeah, we abstract some things in Resident Evil games, but also this was the third engine. We kind of rolled out a lot already, and and so much of it actually felt quite quite seamless as we were going through and that sounds a little bit like I'm, I'm blowing smoke up my own ass but I'm not in trying to it's just more so much this was this felt like a, the project where we go oh we should do this thing and then we would play test it and go actually that's just that just works like it's because we've had mm. three runs at this now so we intuitively had a sense I guess for how it all works the missions I was very nervous about um, because I knew that that's what I wanted to introduce this idea that we had AI for our in, for our NPCs that we had characters. We wanted to have this sense of these NPCs aren't just standing around in the coffee break room, like chilling out. There's nowhere safe in the mansion. They are out there doing something. And whether that's Rebecca kind of back at base looking after people as they hold up in this random room, or whether it's you know somebody running off and doing their own thing, you know, I think I think that the element that was probably the most daunting to try and fit in is probably traitor mode. Because that was something mm. where, how do you how do you implement traitor mode in something? Because there's whole games built around that. Yeah, you know, if you're looking at old school BSG, if you're looking at um, uh, Unfathomable, other games like that. Yeah, you know, where you have like a traitor, where you're trying to establish who that is. That's there are like entire games built around that mechanic, and having having to automate that in a way that feels suspenseful 
and having a way that doesn't make it just feel like purely mechanics you know that, that actually feels characterful and has some flavor to it that was an interesting challenge and mm. yeah fair play I, that one i'm not taking any credit for a lot of that was steve and steve did a really really good job of what that was in terms of imagining how that could build up and how that could feel really impactful for people and in going along the way like what we also came across and this is a few things of resident evil that actually fell out of play testing and design but we also created a accidentally created a very good way of ensuring that characters got cycled around so you didn't just have the i always play barry because yeah you always play barry but you've got a whole bunch of traitors turning up because those people are now more worried about different bits and pieces yeah like, <laughs> like these people have failed missions so you're gonna have to drop barry and take joseph out or whoever for a little bit so that way you can drop down their suspicion and not manage it that way um so that was quite good interesting um, this might be a bit of a non-question then, considering what you're saying about sort of the fluidity of the development of it, but what element of Resident Evil the board game had the biggest changes? Uh, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I can go all the way back to RE2 and tell you that bit. Um, but um, <laughs> let's see. Why well, had the most changes for this? I, weirdly, actually, possibly the um, possibly the narrative system. Uh, I'd actually say purely because we had a lot more fixed encounters originally, and oh, okay, yeah, that's I think that we only use fixed encounters like a couple of times at very most. It's it's really a holdover mm. from RE three, and if truthfully, we could probably have eliminated those out um, if we really wanted to. I mean, we didn't because it's you know it's not broke down fix it kind of territory, but um, but yeah, that one of the biggest elements that we took out as we kept on going through was taking out. Well, we don't actually need a fixed narrative event here. We don't need a fixed narrative event here because a lot of it felt very much like it was Nemesis tech, if that makes sense. It felt very yeah. much like yeah, there isn't a bit in Resident Evil Four, where, uh, sorry, Resident Evil One, where you just suddenly find um, yeah, you walk around the corner and suddenly stores. Yeah, it doesn't quite work <laughs> that way. Um, and you know, the the tension card that threw in the narrative events every so often actually felt a lot more impactful um, if it were entirely right. truthful because it kind of kept up with the the unpredictability. One of the things I've always liked the most about one of the things I've always liked the most about our game, our, our version of, of Resident Evil is, and you kind of touched on it before. When I play Resident Evil game, the, it, the first time you play a Resident Evil game is fundamentally different to every other time you play that same Resident Evil game. The first time you're playing through, you you are scared, you don't know where anything is, you don't know the answers to any puzzles, you don't know what's around the next corner, you're creeping around trying not to die, and then you look at once you finished it, from then onwards, it's speedrunning. Whether you're like mm -hmm. hardcore speedrunning, or whether it's I'm just trying to beat my best score, get a better ranking, or whatever else, it's still speedrunning. Something that our games are able to do, and I've always wanted to achieve, is that every time you sit down to play it, different events happen, different things happen in different places. You find items in different things. You know, everything is randomised. Where enemies are changes. The, the situations that occur to you because of that are different. Everyone has their own unique story about what happened in Resident Evil, and the same if you play multiple campaigns. You will see different events and different things happen and so on. Um, and that kind of feeds into that with the narrative card system. Having fixed events really anchored us back to, this is the bit where this thing happens, and I don't think we necessarily need to have that, per se. We really wanted to just to zoom in on the... You, know, you could just randomly walk around the corner and find Richard or whoever, who's ever wearing mm. uh, Richard's skin at this point, you know, bitten by <laughs> Yawn and go from there. 
<clears throat> from Alexander Parker, we have, what was the thought process about making Crimson Head Elder a complete rewrite from the video game, since that seems like the only major departure? Uh, there's a few. Talk a little bit about this already. Yeah, yeah there's, a, there's a few. Uh, we wanted to, obviously, we have the basement, as we discussed. There's also, uh, with the doors, um, because that wasn't really a, yeah, that wasn't a big area we wanted to build out and everything else. And the same with Neptune. We actually turned Neptune into a boss fight um, versus a electrocute the shark and run off kind of story. Um, yeah. I think for the Crimson Head prototype, we really just wanted to make it feel that much more you know, impactful. We wanted it to be something where you go into the crypt and you're not just going into the crypt for the sake of, well, I'm wandering around in the crypt and I'm I'm doing my jazz and then yeah, you know, I kind of put these I put I put these different stone masks in this thing. I might fight this enemy enemy like once or twice and then I just leave. Yeah, you know, I might shoot it a couple of times. That's it. We wanted to make it so you go into the crypt. Going into the crypts in any horror movie in any horror game you've ever played is a really bad thing to do. We wanted to feel <laughs> like let's let's zoom in on that like. Having a, oh, let's go to the crypt. Oh, it's actually just pretty easy. You could almost do it off camera. Didn't really feel exciting enough. We wanted to make it that much more spectacular. And that's really the big thing. And coming out of that, I said, that was very much a throwaway sort of, um, or not a throwaway, well, in the video game, it's kind of throwaway. But for us, that was like a really big moment in the going through the game. Because so that's your first real difficulty spike. Mm. That's the bit where you kind of play and go, okay, this game has teeth. This game is really actually quite scary now i thought i'd I, i've lost time count of the amount of people who've said i was just running through this doing fine and then suddenly i got to this bit and it suddenly turned up the difficulty value and it's like yes it absolutely did so <laughs> eddie olivia asks do you listen to the farting clowns while designing the basement scenario uh I, I listen to the fighting clowns on a daily basis anybody who's known <laughs> me and so i so i certainly will chuckle at this I, there's a reason why my Spotify typically tells me I'm the top like 0.5% of Capcom's listeners every year. Um, <laughs> I, I am constantly listening to Resident Evil soundtrack while I work. Um, it's not all Marshall in the Yard, I promise. But um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a real sucker as I've got older for old nostalgia kind of soundtracks. And uh, Fighting Clowns isn't as common as the others, but it certainly comes up. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, I'm going to ask the question uh, from a slightly, perhaps, less positive, let's just say less positive perspective. Um, Andrew Hewitt asked, why haven't you fixed the brightness and contrast dials on the tile printer yet after three campaigns? So, for context, uh, this is a common complaint of uh, coming out of Resident Evil the board game, is that the tiles are apparently too dark. Which was an issue with Resident Evil 2, the board game, which Resident Evil, which I don't really understand this question completely because Resident Evil 3, the board game, nobody made that complaint. But there has been a complaint about it for Resident Evil, the original uh, Resident Evil 1, the board game, if you like. Uh, Showing, do you have a <laughs> response for this? Yeah, I, I think um, I get it. There's, you know, people. I think yeah, I certainly agree with you in terms of RE3. I don't, I don't think anyone ever said anything about the tiles in RE3 except, oh, these are much better than RE2. Yeah, it's literally yeah. that. I think I think there's a small degree of of legacy from RE2, and you know, and I've already said this public, and I'll happily say it again, which is that for RE2, we very much went with. If you are to play any of the original games, they are very dark. They literally the the way that I would describe most Resident Evil games is you are running from oasis of light to oasis of light, and in the darkness is that's where you find the zombies, right? And 
And very much like there are sections in RE2 Remake where you literally have no light except Leon's flashlight, for example. It's literally that. And mm. yeah, we very much took that ethos to heart and to mind when we made Resident Evil 2. And you know, it didn't necessarily translate to tabletop as well as you might want it to, purely because it was something where people are used to convention of board games where you just have very bright tiles and they jump out at you. So, and you know, as I said, we are the first to admit that perhaps that one wasn't the right ethos to take. As a result, we we kind of get from a lot of the SFG haters out there this perpetual thing of well, let's just pick an RE because of the tiles. Now, a whole bunch of those people, as you demonstrated there, have never actually even paid or looked at an RE. They just like to poke fun because that's their internet trolls. That's what they do. I think in terms of the RE1 tiles, they are darker than perhaps some people might be used to if you're playing something like Mansions of Madness or you know, insert random horror game here. But if you were to actually look at this, if you had to actually look at some of the locations that these are tile artwork of, and then put, you know, this is the mansion as it appeared in the video game, next to this is what the tile looks like. Most of our tiles are brighter than what those areas are, if you were to actually <laughs> look at them as a direct AP mm. comparison. You know, most of them are something where they do look more cinematic, or they do have brighter light in there, you can see in more details. And I think people have a very interesting memory, because they're so used to running around these rooms and knowing exactly what they look like. They also remember the first version of the game on the play, on the PlayStation. People have these memories of these super bright, super you know, um, well-lit areas, and simply put, Resident Evil isn't that. There are lots of parts where it's very, very dark and claustrophobic, and, that, and we wanted to get that feel across. We wanted it to feel like you are in the Spencer Mansion, and that... I think we achieved quite well because we also received just as many people saying we really love these tiles. Yep. So I, I think I think there's a degree of that to it. I also think, and, and this is something which someone chuckled at me for, but I do genuinely believe it. I think a lot of people when they actually play Resident Evil games, I don't think they purposefully turn it up, but they certainly don't adjust the, the actual brightness level to what it's supposed to be you know, at the start of the game. They'll have their TV, their backlit TV, shining through that makes all of these lights very much brighter. Resident Evil games typically, I don't know about you guys, but whenever I've played any one of them, it already has been in the settings, like before I start doing anything, adjusting down the brightness so that way it gets to the level where images start disappearing off my screen, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, and I think people kind of lose track of that a little bit because they're used to playing on a very much bright backlit screen as well, which doesn't help that. Yeah, that was exactly my perspective on it as well. It's like, if you think this is darker than the game, then you've been playing with the brightness way up on the game, clearly, because... Yeah, to me, this looks like the game. And I I play with people who are gamers, not, you know, Resident Evil super fans have a podcast about it sort of level, but they've played plenty of the Resident Evil games. And they and the two guys that I played with actually played Remake with them the last year together. Um, and they unprompted said how much they enjoyed the fact that the tiles took them back to that experience. And I agree with them. It does look so much like I think out of all three this is the one that looks closest to the source material for me so I don't necessarily understand this complaint but uh, people have been mentioning it so for their sake I wanted to include yeah, it. Yeah and that's fair I could get that I will always, um, one of my favourite quotes that any of our community has ever made about our Resident Evil games uh, and you'll forgive this it's a somewhat flippant answer it makes me chuckle but um, and you'll need to get out your sensor button so but um, mm -hmm. this isn't fucking Disneyland which <laughs> uh, is exactly the thing that someone said in response once and it always makes me chuckle remembering it that's so good
Our next question is sort of a double whammy one. Uh, that the first half is: Is there anything that you regret about creating Resident Evil Two or Resident Evil Three? And the second half is: Was there any aspect to the RE board games that you're either disappointed by or underwhelmed by? That's from Richard Coburn and Mike Martin. I don't know. I'd say disappointed. I don't say I'd regret uh, per se as and as such. I mean, there's obviously things that we improved on going forward. One of the things that I liked. One of the things I wanted to address the most uh, coming out of RE2 was special attacks, for example. Um, I feel they could have been much more impactful in the game, and they could have given us a much better diversity of enemy attacks um, and how enemy behaviour worked. Um, so definitely that. I mean, and also, there's a lot of things. Like we've learned a lot about how this engine works. We've learned a lot about how to make, um, how to push things in terms of how the bosses move around or how characters and scenario design is and so on. There's an awful lot we've learned which obviously could be retrofit and move backwards. Um, is there something that I regret per se about any of those games? I kind of half regret not introducing the, um, the, the exploration card system for RE3 sooner. But there was a very good reason for why we didn't do that. And I don't think it really pulls down RE3 whatsoever. It's just a, it's just something where it was so popular for uh, for this game that it almost feels like a, like a no-brainer to have dropped it into that. Otherwise, um, I, I don't know. I, uh, go go on, shoot. Yeah. Oh, so the the next group of questions is is very similar to the last one. Is a double whammy from Artiface Carta and Liam Thompson, which is to say. It, now that you've done all three of the original canon, if you were to go back and remake Resident Evil 2, what technologies were you to, would you use from the second and third games in such an update? Uh, you, as in put in bits from the remakes into them or or put in stuff from the from so, RE1, I guess, if, now into those two I think games? They're, we I think they're talking about the, the question games. down. Yeah. Yeah. If we distill the question down to, to what I think the question is, which is to say, what would a Remake 2 board game look like? Uh, a Remake 2 board if game... If it were to happen. Uh, a Remake 2 board game would have much darker tiles. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, it would also have uh, zombies that had very much different behaviours, kind of like they do now. Uh, in fact, to be honest, what I would probably do if I was going to do a remake straight away before I did anything is I'd go back to both those games and implement a lot of the bits and pieces um, that we've put into RE1. So you would see encounter, card, you know, encounter cards versus um, versus you know, the roll tables. You would see exploration cards to build out scenarios. Uh, we would certainly, for RE2, flesh out the, the police station with a lot more scenarios. Uh, we'd build out that much. Um in terms of other bits and pieces tech-wise, tech obviously you wouldn't carry over stuff like burning corpses per se, because um, you know that's more of a unique RE1 kind of vibe. But um, yeah, I, th I think that's probably most of the areas we want to do. Uh, we would definitely want to introduce Fedora for obvious reasons. Uh, for the tyrant, <laughs> damn it! Uh, as a plate of armor of some description, um, I, I can see almost like a roll of dice whenever you attack it, and if you get like a, uh, or maybe actually no, we won't make it regressive because you, know, you want people to interact with it. So while it's wearing the fedora, and it will be like a plug-in hat uh, where you just push it down onto the head, <laughs> or maybe just a whole head swap. Um, but certainly, we would uh, have it so that while it's still wearing the fedora, obviously the, the tyrant is faster to make you have to interact with it. Uh, something like that. Oh, actually, funny. 
I could see a really interesting, a really really interesting system. This is just me spitballing now. I could see a really interesting <laughs> um, idea with like the with the narrative cards and encounter cards and so on when the torrent is walking around looking for you like where you're drawing like whenever you make attacks or do certain things it's almost like a draw the next two cards if they're not torrent cards shuffle them to the bottom you know put them at the bottom or whatever else so you're mm-hmm. kind of pushing it up the more you do stuff that'd be kind of interesting mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah we could definitely yeah, make it noise Laura in yeah I like yeah. it we're cooking and obviously I think you know to cover both bases from that question if it was the other perspective if there was a second edition of re2 and or stylized like remake 2 i think it's safe to assume that a lot of the stuff murray one would come across wouldn't it like we were talking about with you know the encounter deck and the unfolding scenarios yeah i think can i ask an ask you question real quick of course Kim. uh back when we talked about resident evil 2 and then again resident evil 3 you had lamented um, about not being able to do your follow the RPD yes. scenarios. Do you think at this point, if you were to go back and do a remake too, Capcom would let you do something like that? I don't think so. Um, they're, they're sim- so when we make Resident Evil games, uh, Capcom, are, you know, as I said, they're, they're wonderful to work with. They really are. Um, but one of the things they always ask us to do, and I understand the logic of this very much, is they want us to make that game. Uh, very specifically, this is... This is, you know, this is Resident Evil 2. And if it's not in the events of Resident Evil 2, then, you know, as in actually seen on camera, or it's not close to that you kind of almost sidestep a little bit, because we do push it a little bit. Um, You know, Brad Vickers turning up, for example, as a playable character in RE2, that sort of stuff. But, um, you know, we we hit limits with that, and simply put, the, the, um, the fall of the RPD building uh, that was definitely something where that just wasn't going to fit in unfortunately that was something where although it's mentioned in the files uh, that just simply wasn't something where Capcom were willing to go and a lot of that is because we would be defining what some characters look like who at the time didn't actually have faces and didn't actually have personalities and and a lot of that would be making new canon in a roundabout way so mm. Mm. Um, so Kevin Flood asks, uh, have you painted any miniatures from the Resident Evil games? And if so, can we see them? <laughs> uh, I would desperately love to do that. I haven't had bandwidth to sit down and actually do it. I've, um, I've been doing a whole bunch of work stuff. There's this game called RE4. Um, and then, yeah, I should, <laughs> I should, I really should. Here's an interesting one. Perhaps we can turn this into some sort of poll or whatever over on the Discord. Um, which one do you want me to paint and I'll do it. That's a great idea. I'll take that idea to the bank. Okay. Um, and then you can let me know which one of the uh, stars I'm going to paint. Bonus points if it's a Bravo. And then uh, we go from there. <laughs> Fantastic. You back on game all in. Can we have a Kickstarter exclusive box that contains everything rather than a bunch of separate boxes? I think this is talking about future oh, games. That would, be just, that would be like an item chest that I don't even know exists anymore. There's so much to go in there. We'd need like, like pretty much the truck would turn up. They'd take the lorry off the back and be like, "This is this is your this is your box." In <laughs> <laughs> your garden or whatever. Um, we've talked about this. the The problem is, is that you are effectively shipping air at that point because you either ship the box fully assembled and it's a massive box that costs a lot because it's volumetric. Um, and mm. yeah, there's nothing actually inside it, and it's it's really prohibitive because of the size of the box. Or alternatively, you're selling it flat packed, which just immediately feels like a um, uh, 
which just immediately feels like a uh, kind of like oh so i paid this money for a flat pack box like what is this ikea you know what i mean it just doesn't mm-hmm. really sort of work very well um plus truthfully people don't necessarily always like i've seen people condensing things down and so on some people really just like having them all set up in a row they like the collector's edition of looking at it and going these are the different boxes we occasionally excuse me occasionally we get asked why do we keep the sizes of the expansions the same size as the core box and the reason is is because a large part of our community of our community are collectors and it looks really nice seeing them in a row as the same size boxes on a, on a shelf yeah that's fair I mean, to be pedantic, the, at least my box when it came to delivery did actually have Resident Evil written on the side with the logo. You could be pedantic and say, there's your big box. <laughs> uh, you could, valid point. Really valid point. Um, so, Andy Wall asks, as a future item for the games, how about Resident Evil-themed card sleeves? That would be an extra excellent buy for past and future games. The, I must walk carefully here. The is something interesting that may or may not I, there's something interesting that may or may not happen which is similar to what you're talking about I, car sleeves I'm always I personally don't sleeve my games um, I know that that's probably just meant that half 50% of the people listening have just turned off in disgust um, <laughs> but you know I, so, but I totally get it and making car sleeves would be really interesting uh, potentially we're doing something really cool which is similar to that that I can't talk about yet which is on the next project. Mm. Speaking of future projects, then, uh, the inevitably, this question came up from multiple different people. Brian Sharkey, who got a shout-out near the beginning of the show, Simon Skeptic, Jamie Keats, and potentially other people, I apologise if I've missed your name, asked, what are the chances of board games based on, insert game here, be that Resident Evil Outbreak, which I think won a poll on the board game community in terms of what they'd like to see next, but also lots of people asking for Code Veronica, there have been calls for Zero, so on and so forth. Basically, what are the chances of these games specifically uh, getting board games? Uh, hmm. So, with any of these games, it, it's a case of talking to Capcom about whether they'll be happy for us to make them uh, and also us really thinking about the commercial viability of doing so and there's it's an, Resident Evil's a really interesting one because you know the fan the community loves you know a lot of what the games are but it's also worth pointing out a lot of those people are niche of a niche and therefore mm-hmm. we have to be somewhat careful with you know what we make because obviously we're, Outbreak, for example, would be a tremendously straightforward game to make for us using the existing Resident Evil Survival Horror Engine. However, at the same time, I'm not sure that Outbreak, outside of our, our board game community, would obviously be very, very excited about it, but some hardcore selection of it, cross-section of it, I don't know a lot of other people would be as hyped about Resident Evil Outbreak. They might well be, mm-hmm. I might well be proven wrong, but... Um, yeah, it's something where we have to very carefully consider what that is, and a large part of it is you know, how many people are talking about it, how many people were really engaged with it, how many people originally bought it and liked it, and so on. There's lots of different factors that play into it. Um, I personally would take that some of these I would look at and say, what's the alternative format we could make these games in? You know, could we turn these games into card games? Could we turn these games into dice games? Could we turn these games into like a, a different type of board game than what we've already existing seen? Um, there is another type of game that I've mentioned that I'm deliberately omitting here that we could do with this. So there's all sorts of other bits and pieces here. 
So lots of lots of different mm-hmm. ideas here. Um, the honest answer is at the moment the mainline games is the ones that really you know are are the obvious direction to uh, travel. Huge debate about whether or not Code Veronica is mainline, as as ever the ongoing debate. I think just to add on to that, that like, and we talked about it at the beginning of the show. It's really cool to see people create stuff for the board games and create their own mods and all kinds of versions. There was people in the Steamforged um, Discord server a few weeks ago. Someone was making their own character cards for Outbreak characters, and we were discussing how you would interpret the. Um, virus gauge into a board game so at the end of the day the positive outlook look would be is if you want these board games you could probably use the resident games that you've got proxy some stuff in make your own fan version i know it's not quite the same thing but i always uh love to see that kind of stuff and love to poke my head in and offer some suggestions and you know that kind of creativity is always awesome to see so you know, if, if if you're really that uh, passionate about it, then other people will get behind that idea and, uh, you know, I you mean, can't sell it, but you can do it for fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in the wake of the original RE2 board game, the homebrew scene kicked off straight away. Oh, there was, yeah, there was yeah. I mean, we talked about the remakes. One up beforehand. Yeah, yeah, we talked about our remake two ideas that unfortunately didn't go anywhere, but we had ideas for making the orphanage scenario and all well, stuff like that. I have freedom of choice to Steamforge have with regarding the picking of insert game here whether it be outbreak code veronica zero gaiden etc uh quite a lot we um obviously you know capcom have never said to us you must make this game never once they have said obviously well you know as i've as i've already you know alluded to and they've said hey the remake is coming out for this game nudge nudge wink wink this would probably be a really good idea to make um, but they've never outwardly said you must make Resident Evil 2 or you must make Resident Evil 3 in those, those instances it was just very much a compelling this is obviously like a bit of a slam dunk do this um, you know, if someone says to you hey we really think you should make Resident Evil 2 how do you say no <laughs> so, 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 so there is always that element to it but no so Capcom have always been very good of us on those things the only, the only time I could, instance I could imagine would come up for that it's not necessarily really a Resident Evil issue because I don't know of any games that would fit this. Um, but if we were to come up with something that didn't see international release beyond Japan, for example, and wanted to make that, I could see that being more of a, a conversation point, for example. The the Resident Evil Y, actually, that you mentioned earlier, Sai, that was, that, believe it or not, was actually quite a... Capcom Europe had to go to Capcom Japan to get permission for us to use that because that was something where... And for a long while... Uh, they we weren't sure we could use it until we realized well i kind of already knew i was waiting for the penny to drop a little bit but until it was realized oh no wait they did use that for the soundtrack in mm-hmm. the original soundtrack for resident evil one so there has been a european pal you know an american release of something to do with the game that used that graphic and as soon as that happened it's like okay we could do it but there was just a very <laughs> much a focus on this is the Japanese element, and we can't sell it outside of Japan with that cover because it didn't, yeah, because that didn't happen, which is a really right. weird thing. Uh, as a side note and a music anecdote, when we actually got that uh, file through from Japan, they were like, "Okay, cool." As soon as we had that, they're like, "And here's the thing you're looking for." And uh, our lead graphic designer for Resident Evil Abbey took one look at it. She said, "This is older than I am." 
<laughs> literally the file was older than what she is oh which goodness. immediately made me feel very old um, <laughs> anyone so, else's yeah. bones hurt all of a sudden no? yeah right <laughs> just no, me it, it, was, it was like um, it's in a TIFF uh, format file as well which, <laughs> oh, you know, you know what? I, I don't even know what that was until that point it was a little bit like you know we're kind of raiding yeah, a temple or something and finding old Aztecs of tech so that's kind of entertaining <laughs> Uh, so this question comes from multiple people showing when will the next Resident Evil board game be coming to Kickstarter yes <laughs> good answer I like it yeah okay fair enough uh, <laughs> the honest answer is next year mm-hmm. that's the most okay. you're getting out of me <laughs> I think at this point obviously we talked about it over the podcast that's come up. Um, Kickstarter backers will know because they've got the little flyer that it is Resident Evil 4, the board game. Um, so Michelle Moreno, to close us off, asked you know, what led to that decision specifically and what do you think will be the most challenging mechanic to make? Because as we've alluded to, it's going to have to be quite different. Well, I mean, theoretically, it's going to have to be quite different from what's come before. So so far, the most interesting, the most interesting uh, challenge we've had has been adding verticality. Hmm. Um, yes. That's, okay. That's the that's the and that's not to say we've abandoned it. We really haven't. Uh, I I have pictures on my phone of some truly spectacular sort of arenas and bits and pieces. Um, it is a very different game, uh, which is it, although. Resident Evil 4 is a really interesting one because as much as it is, I, I think because it's a next gener- a next generation console release and because yeah, it switched around so you have Ganados rather than Zombies and so on, so you actually started to see a, few, you know, a bit more variety in terms of how enemies attack and what they do and obviously that lovely sunny Spain and it, it also started feeling much more open. It, it's all a lot of distractions, but at core level and obviously you have combat puzzles. You run from arena to arena to arena rather than backtracking. But mm. a lot of the elements of Resident Evil are still there. You know, it, it, it moves the resource management from a place which is no longer... You know, Resident Evil 4 still has ammunition. It still has healing items and so on. But I don't know about you guys. I've never once got to a point where I'm like, oh, I'm running out of ammo. How do I do stuff? Yeah. Um, it's more so much... The, the the economy of you playing it changes from resource your resource management of you playing it changes from actual resources to time resource I am being attacked by this many enemies I have only so much time to reload my ammo aim and kill that thing and then get out of the way of the next thing and so it's more like an action economy basis and when you start thinking about the game like that when you start drilling into it you realise and this was really helped by playing RE4 remake you know back to back of RE2 or RE3 remake you see, actually, the games aren't dramatically different. So there's a... As much as we all go, oh, well, the engine has to be immediately different, because that's exactly your knee-jerk reaction to it, you do sit there and go, well, let's explore that a bit more. What is it that's different about this game when you look at it? And a lot of it is perception, because it is a next-gen generation game, because it feels somewhat different, because Leon's character is no longer the Leon that we ever met in RE2. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, so... That that's one of the so verticality is one of the uh, is one of the elements and then the other one is is uh, really trying to capture the right theme and spirit of what the game is because the more you drill into it the more you realise this this idea we all have of Resident Evil Four in our heads being this really wildly different game is actually Resident Evil Five. <laughs> yes, for sure. 
if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Um, There's obviously so many questions that I want to ask, but I like I don't want to get you in trouble by like, you know, <laughs> right, give us some exclusive deets, you know. <laughs> I'm already going to give you a ticket card, so yeah, there's, there's only so much. <laughs> yeah, it's all mine. <laughs> okay, cool. Thank you, everyone, for sending your questions in. Thank you, Sherwin, for your time and for going through them with us. Uh, thank you for having it. It's it's, it's always fun to uh, interact with the community. I always love doing this Indeed. stuff. Indeed. And uh, let's hope everybody votes on the uh, on which model do I paint. Yes, that the link for the Facebook community will be. Um, in the description of this podcast if you are a Facebook user and you're not a part of the group do join up as we can't you know we've all kind of put it over and can't talk enough good about it but that poll will be in there yes certainly Um, but other than that nothing else remains for me but to thank our contributors our Patreons and our listeners join the First Age Break Discord server to become part of our community and hear the show early and unedited and don't forget to follow us on Twitter Facebook Instagram YouTube TikTok etc all of these links and all of our content can be found at fasprayPod.com. you can listen to the podcast on YouTube Spotify iTunes and all good podcasting apps and if you like what you hear please you can listen to the podcast on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes and all good podcasting apps. And if you like what you hear, please do leave a review where you can and spread the good word. Don't forget you can support the show by picking up some merch or at patreon.com forward slash Pod for as little as $1 a month. In our next episode, we wrap up our fifth year of the show, as is our tradition, with our annual quiz. It's Trivia Challenge Round 5. Thank you to the panel. You can follow all of the Pueblo people individually. I'm at Siniac underscore one, two, three. Steve is at FB. Steve was taken. At It's Burger Time and Sherwin is at Sherwin's Agenda. And finally, thank you for listening and have a good week. Steve was taken. Burger is at Burger is at its burgers. Oh god, I get my words out. Burger is at its burger. Fuck. Sorry. Burger is at its burger time, and Sherwin is at its. Fuck. Can't even. (laughs) Burger is at its burger time, and Sherwin is at Sherwin's agenda. And finally, thank you for listening, and have a good week. So that, that's the outtake, yeah? Uh, yeah. <laughs> How many times can I say Burger's Twitter handle wrong? Oh, oh, it's a very complicated Twitter handle. Every, yeah, yeah, obviously. I mean, I, I'm migrating to <clears throat> Pop's collar, Blue Sky, as soon as everyone else is. Oh, yeah, sorry, it's not Twitter anymore, is it? It's X. X.